I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. Well, we're coming to you guys this week straight out the Under Pressure Outdoor Studio. We're just going to recap some of these episodes we've had over the last four episodes of last month, although it doesn't quite encompass the month of October, it goes back into September and all that. But from what I've understood from some of these reviews we've been getting, you guys don't know who we are. 91 episodes in. I mean, I know you know you should know who I am because I tell you right at the beginning, I'm your host, Will Krebs. And this is the Under Pressure Outdoors podcast. But I'm going to get, you know, I got uh, Jim and Briar here with me this evening. So I'm going to let you guys formally introduce yourselves. I don't want to do that. I'm just Jim. Jim. Just Briar. Well, now you know. You could be the host. Yeah, you're the host. But people, so people have been saying they don't know, they just don't know who's talking. Which I understand that because we don't ever actually introduce ourselves. We take the time to introduce our guests and let them talk about themselves and. I don't know. We got to figure out a way to work that in. So, that do you really want us to give us a resume? It's like no, nah, you don't have to give a resume. I just we got to we got to come up with some way to introduce ourselves. You know, yeah, indiscriminate game killer for food. Yeah, <laughs> and professionally Dutch extraordinary. I, yeah, play with money professionally. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> put people to sleep. But man, let's go ahead and dive right into it. We go all the way back to episode. 89 we had operation outdoor freedom in here that was right after the pig roast that was quite a good quite a good event we had there back in september the beginning of september september 11th when we had that event and we raised 1500 dollars for those guys and that was a good episode that 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 was uh they worked for the the florida the state of florida is is forestry right the fire division of forestry and they run the nonprofit that is Operation Outdoor Freedom, and they take wounded vets on special opportunity hunts across the state of Florida. It was good talking to them guys. What was your guys' favorite part of that episode? And you I really got to think know. back because that was tough, right? I don't know if all the stories actually made it into the episode. Some of their stories about about guys that are veterans and you would think know how to use a firearm (laughs) (laughs) that actually don't and you're like wait wasn't this like that happened in the military like you know how to use a firearm you were trained professionally (laughs) there's a big air quotes around the word train (laughs) yeah really and it's a big part of what drives all of us it was just the service. I don't know if genuine altruism exists because I think we all get a big kick out of just the feeling that you get from doing a good job. But I got the feeling that's what those guys do. Right. You know, the other part of that podcast that I liked was the the venison shoulder. Oh, yeah, the food. Yeah. yeah. That I really thought those guys were going to be like, oh, this is great. And I got the feeling they ate, ate stuff like that all the time. They just, gone. They just <laughs> it down, and that was it. That was good. Thank you. 
You know, yeah. I tell you though, <clears throat> so I don't know that I ever explained how I found Operation Outdoors Freedom. We actually went down to the outdoor expo in Lakeland. Lakeland? Lakeland. And uh, we were just wandering around the outdoor expo and they were tucked way off back in another room by themselves. And I wandered by their booth and I started talking to them about Operation Outdoors Freedom. At that point, you know, I was like, hey man, I would love to, uh, I'd love to raise some money for you guys and get, get you on the our podcast. And uh, we, ex- you know, exchanged some cards. And it's not the guys we spoke to that I got the card from, but that eventually led me through a series of emails and phone calls to the two gentlemen we had in here to sit down and talk with us that are local to us. I mean, they're, I say local, they're 40 minutes away over in Sanford. More like, uh, uh, DeLand. That's what I'm looking for. I wanted to say Deltona for some reason, but it's not just DeLand. They're over in DeLand where their office is. But they came over and sat down with us one night and just recorded that great episode to talk about Operation Outdoors Freedom. And a lot of the stories they share are a lot of fun. And that's something you guys... We're trying to kind of think of a way to bring some of that stuff to you. Haven't figured out how to do it yet, but there's a lot of uh, stories and uh, funny stuff that happens off the air when the record button's not going on. And some of it for good reason. Yeah. PG. Yeah. Some of those stories I don't, I don't think they could have told while we were recording. <laughs> well, that goes for just about every guest we have in yeah. here. Yeah. You know, we... We step out of the studio and go back out into the driveway and have a couple more beers. It seems to be some of those, we have some of those podcasts where we stand out there, we we finish recording at 9.30 at night, and then we're standing there in the driveway till 10.30, 11 o'clock, and they're like, all right, well, I needed to leave. I needed to leave at 9.30. Yeah. But it's always a good time. There, there, there's a, a, quite a few of those. Yeah, that's been the most rewarding part about doing this is being able to bring people in here that are really passionate about all kinds of different subjects. Falconry, fire, small game hunting, artificial reefs, all over the board. But when they're here and they're telling you about what they do, why they do it, and why it's important, I learn so much. I, I sometimes wish, that's the problem. We get It's like, I think, wow, I'm going to really look more into that. Then we get another guest next week. Oh, I'll look more into that. I'm gonna have to live a thousand years, to, and we gotta have to stop talking soon because I'm gonna need a thousand years to get into all the things I've I've wanted to learn more about because of this podcast. I have to say that one of the coolest experiences I've ever had come out of doing this podcast was when we had uh, the gentleman over here with Remus the Hawk. Yeah, that was interesting. That was that was sweet. Man. Like it was it was really cool to watch that, and I, I would I'd like to get back with him and watch that hawk. Hunt. It was not just watching it though. We didn't just watch it. We actually participated in yeah. in doing that. Oh yeah. But to watch that bird do its thing would be amazing. Yeah. And you guys could actually go back to that episode. Um uh, man, I don't know what episode it was back in the eighties, maybe seventies? Uh well this a couple months ago. A hawk named Remus. Yeah. I think it was the title of that episode and he actually does like kids' birthday parties. You yeah. bring him out and he does this whole info thing. You know, I believe we talked about that. Yeah, we did in the episode. He's got contact information and stuff and everybody. He'll bring the birds out. And it's it's it was a 
it's really neat to get up close and personal with a bird of prey like that. Yeah. That, I, that, that's not an everyday experience. No. I have not looked at hawks. I mean, I always had a a level of respect for raptors like that because they're just wicked awesome. The yeah. power in such a small package. But I I was never I've never been close enough for a, a long enough period of time to experience the personality. Yeah, I never really thought about the fact that 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 creature could present personality. And I think we talked about it in that podcast the way it's almost like a dog. Yeah. In a in a bird and it was it was amazing really. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Really neat. Another great guest was uh, Hendrick. Oh, yes. yeah. Hendrick yes. Gauss. Oh, man. Thwack. Yeah. Yeah, archery. Who, who, in and of his own right, is a bad man. Yes. yes. Right? That was not talked about either. No, we're not going to talk but, about yeah. how he was a bad man. Yes. In the best of ways, man. But, yes. um, you know, a guy who has gone so far down the archery rabbit hole, you know, that again, I just, I need an eighth day in the week. I want to go down there and just say, start me on stick and string, mold me. You know, what's, you know, know what's great about it is, you know, we're just sitting here earlier talking about Cameron Gordon and his, uh, the man of the small game. And he was actually the recipient, uh, the lucky dog, Yes. On his one card purchase one at card. the uh, pig roast of, of the, the the bow donated by Common Man Outdoors, the bow and sight and rest. And then, he, you know, Hendrick said in the studio here that he would donate to the winner. He would set the bow up and give him arch and range time for free. And then he went as far as to double down on that. Uh, and he, like, literally set arrows, everything up for Cameron for free. Yeah. Put him on the range and then said, go kill something. Yeah. What Speaking of which, man, today, since Cameron is, you know, we, we gave him the title Florida's greatest rabbit hunter. So today he's out hunting doves alone, knocks down one short of a one-man limit, and, of course, two rabbits. Mm. That's crazy. I, that small man, I'm small you, game. When I think when Cameron gets out of the truck and his foot hits the ground, there's a tremor. He's a he's a uh, <laughs> he's a, a Mary Poppins of sorts. Yeah, they just they different just flock way. to him in a different way. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like an evil Mary Poppins, I guess you could say the way she calls it's the animals. Small in. game. Yeah, <laughs> little baby rabbits and chicks, man. Cameron is the boogeyman. <laughs> But he does, he tends to he he kills rabbits all the time, like he's he's a rabbit hunting fool. He doesn't use dogs. He just, I tell you, he he just I swear he he either has a scent that they like that he smells like that or something. But they always seem to come to him. Mm. How do you kill two rabbits hunting doves? Yeah, well, just got an eye for it, I guess. Speaking of which, um, this might be I don't know if it's a good segue or not. Cameron's gonna be back on the show. Sometime in the next 60 days, uh, he's agreed to come in before we kick off our small game series. Um, check our Facebook page. We're going to do events, try to get him out there. 
emails, texts, whatever. But December 18th, we're actually going to be hunting one of Cameron's favorite places. We're going to be hunting the uh, the Death Wish WMA, the Charles Bronson WMA, which is well known for all kinds of small game, squirrels, rabbits, doves. And then um, January 22nd, we'll be back at Seminole Forest, which is Always a good time, man. One of the that's a great time. One of the most beautiful pieces of woods in Central Florida, and full of small game. And again, Cameron, first time I met Cameron, I thought I did pretty good. I think I came back with uh, eight or nine squirrels. That dude came back with I think three rabbits, half a dozen doves, a duck, and a bunch of squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah, <laughs> it's like holy crap, who are you? Um, yeah. And then uh, February 6th, we're going to be up in Ocala. It's not really a trash cleanup, but we'll probably grab some trash out of there, but we're also going to hunt small game. We'll be meeting at the Pittman Robert Pittman Visitor Center on 19. Uh, some of us might meet a little further south of that and grab some breakfast at the local gas station because I understand they got one of the best gas station breakfasts in the country. And then uh, the 26th of February, we'll be out at Three Lakes. And Three Lakes, you can chase just about anything you want, but it is a great place to walk around for snipe. For those that have dogs, there should be some quail in there. So we've got at least four hunts kicked off this year, and Cameron's going to kick us, help kick off that season between now and then and give us a little bit about the Mosquito County mindset. Seminole Forest is a, is a small game hunt I've been going to for at least the past 15 years. We were in high school. I love that place. Yeah. I'm coming up on being able to say 15 years. I got yeah. two weeks before I can actually say 15 years, but yeah. probably 15 years. <laughs> I'm hunting wood ducks in there this year. I was like, ooh. Seminole? Yeah. Seminole? Yeah. Seminole. Yeah, season's open. Down yeah. The river. Oh, yeah. It's, it's well, there's, uh, there's some places that. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to have, I'm going to leave the lead in the car in a couple places. <laughs> just get out and walk with some steel. It's kind of the way you got to do it, though. Yeah, legally, yeah. yeah. No, you play by the rules. No, yeah. I mean, like, in order to really like get out there and fully immerse yourself into the small game hunt in that WMA, you have to bring both lead and steel, yeah. and get down in there before sunrise and shoot some steel at some at some wood ducks, yep. or some mergansers or whatever else other little. Uh, ducks you can find back in yeah. there and then go back to the truck switch over to lead take the waders off and wander out through some of that little more upland stuff in there and lay down some squirrels yeah you just mentioned the waders man that is a place to have them in your truck i carried them uh last well not last year we went out there one year and uh, i remember it got a bit warm to the point that when i put my waders on i took all my other clothes off and I got in the waders in underwear and a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's Florida for you. Yeah. It, it couldn't have been last year because it had to be the year was. before. Because last fairly, year was dang cold. Was chilly for a little a while last year. Yeah. It's pretty pretty dang chilly last year. And I hope it's chilly again. It's, I like it when it's cold out there. It's yeah. game hunting. Yeah. The wind kind of makes it tough sometimes. But you get a windy day. But. Well, you get the windy, you know, when you're hunting the squirrels, you get a wind like that. It's kind of like deer. You can get down into a deep bottom where it blocks a lot of the wind. Yeah. And they move pretty good. But, too, I mean, with another trick to those squirrels and, and uh, Seminole Forest, if you've got a canoe or a kayak and you get on Blackwater Creek and you just float the creek, 
Yeah. Dude, I, I have had one of the best squirrel shoots in my life in Georgia when the uh, Altamaha River was 13 feet over its banks. And we had a good wood duck hole, and we'd go out in the morning, and we'd shoot wood ducks for probably 45 minutes after, 30 to 45 minutes after sunrise, and then the flight would quit. And then we'd motor around, by motor, I mean use a trolling motor to push ourselves up to the top of the lake, because there was a current (laughs) flowing through the lake, and then you would float the current back down the edge of the trees and just waste squirrels. Because the river was so high that this lake was, man, what were we probably 700 yards from the actual bank of the lake where we were putting the boat in the water? Oh, something like that. It was a ways. Yeah. When I came back in the summertime, the limbs that we were hiding in were about 12 feet off the ground. Yeah. (laughs) So the squirrels, you know, they're used to having that dry land down there. Now it's all water. They got nowhere to go. So you can float right through there on that current and just lay them down. And then you kick the trolling motor on, troll up in the bushes pick one up throw in the boat Mm -hmm. i think one morning me and aj killed two ducks and probably 15 squirrels (laughs) (laughs) you know at uh seminole forest adam adam stillman's dad did that and they they came back with a boat they might even got the two-man limit was that 30 squirrels or something they had a lot yeah they had a lot you know then we come back and visit ocala because you know, that's just home. But that Three Lakes property, as beautiful as Rock Springs is, I would throw Three Lakes in there for several different reasons. They've just done a great job at manicuring some of that. Manicuring some of that for turkeys and deer. It's got the big, tall, long, long-leaf pines. It's funny because, well, the podcast before this one, hopefully, or maybe follow following this one, depending on how fast we get it back from the U.S. Forest Service, we're actually going to be talking about the importance of prescribed fire, and they do a great job with it down there. But it's it's different. But you've got the hydro hammocks. You're walking through the palmetto, but it's not real because they do a great job of burning it. Um, the old Florida cattle land, so to speak, man, that's, that's just another place that's gorgeous. And I'm looking forward to getting back to at the end of the season. Ocala is another place like, you know, cause we talked a lot. So we talked a lot about the, the diversity of the Ocala national forest the other night when we sat in here and recorded with the, the USDA the forest service, um, fire division or department or whatever you want to call it about controlled burns, but the diversity of the forest, it's cool because you can get down in there around some of those lakes and you get the real swampy area and you get up into the scrub and so on and so forth. And you can really just hunt so many different types of Florida from the Palmetto flats to the scrub to the, and it's all there. Oh yeah. Cypress. Uh, yeah, I'll love mm-hmm. it. Get up toward the river. And- I, I've hunted, I've small game hunted. I've done some dove hunting out in Ocala national forest. I've never been very successful at it. Done a lot of fishing out there. Yeah. Never been very successful at that either. But <laughs> that that doesn't differ from anywhere I go fishing. Yeah. Same here. <laughs> I, I just cruise around on the trolling motor and, and uh, birds nest my bait caster. Yeah. Snag into, <laughs> lo- uh, snag into logs and hit people's docks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we both have General Gun out in Pipeline. 
We year. have general gun. I have you have general gun and pipeline. So does maybe I gotta check and see if I I may have waited too long to just finally decide to do it because I put in for the redraw or whatever. Okay, Jordan has um, it. I have it. You have it. I also have general gun in Point Washington. Jordan has general gun in Point Washington. Um, man, there's Rock know, Springs for muzzleloader will be over there. Yeah, that's in a couple of weeks. Yep. St. Vincent's Island for muzzleloader. But going back to, if you don't mind, going back to Ocala, I think a lot of people that are going to Ocala, they want to hunt deer. And and I think a lot of people are familiar with, they just know there's a lot of people there. Right. But it's it's so close that I think we should probably try to take some advantage of some evenings and go over during general gun, not necessarily to hunt deer or do the traditional tree stand hunts. Obviously, we're plenty of orange case somebody else is out there. But let's go figure out where the quail are. We know a couple places where they probably are. Yeah. yeah. Right? And But really see if we can kick a few up and then maybe come back with a guy like Brian Irish. So what you you're saying is scout, scout small game with a deer rifle. Yeah. You know, and the other thing, I guess... When I was a kid, I, I really enjoyed bird watching. You know, I was mainly out looking for different ducks and, and eagles and all the things that might be more appealing or more, yeah, more appealing to a really young man or young boy. But now I find myself sitting in the woods, especially during deer season, and there's all these crunch birds that I've been watching for 20 years. But I'm like, what is that? Just, that's a brown bird. Right. You know? And I sort of, I, a I think that's bird. a chickadee, yep. yeah. you know, but um, for whatever reason this year, I've just really gotten into the idea of figuring out, like, I really don't know what these birds are, especially, you know, I'm an outdoorsman, you know, we talk about it all the time. It's a big part of the fabric of who I am. Right. Um, and I'd like to get better at knowing the things and knowing what the things are that I'm not necessarily hunting. And I suspect that if I really do get better at that, I'll start identifying patterns or perhaps behaviors that might key you off a little bit better about how to be hmm. a better hunter. I don't know. Briar, we were talking about that today. That Yeah. You know, we're out scouting. Coots and moorhens, obviously, are pretty decent signs that there might be ducks there, too. That's one thing I've, I've noticed in scouting for ducks is if I go someplace and I see a few moorhens or some big rafts of coots, more than likely there's going to be ducks there. Well, they're on, the same thing. On that body of water. Yeah, I mean, it, you're right. They eat the same things. It's just kind of an indication when I'm riding around and I go, "Oh, there's coots over here," yeah. and they're real life decoys that aren't decoys. Yeah, you know. Um, but then today we were sitting out there and looking through the binoculars and figuring out the boat tail grackles and yeah, uh, the different so egrets like and whatnot. Four right. or five snowy egrets. You uh, yeah. <laughs> and of course, some of them are you know pretty easy, like snowy egret, cattle vault, or um. Snow egret, uh, black vulture, you know, the kingfishers. I mean, those are all easy to, but, yeah. and I should have known the boat tail grackle. I, I knew it. I just couldn't remember the dang name, but I was like, oh, yeah, of course that's boat tail grackle. So you, you talk about the different birds and you brought up the egrets and it made me think about how when I sat there with the guys at uh, Honeywood's Hunting Bull Lodge in Eupala, Alabama, they do a lot of uh, upland, you know, southern upland bird hunting, whether they release and 
and a lot of it's pen raised quail. They do have some wild quail on the on the farm there. But when they come to, if you're coming up there for a bird hunt, they will release pen raised quail for you to make sure you have a good hunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, depending on what kind of bird you want, evidently you can buy different classes of pen raised quail, faster, slower, whatever, uh, closer to a wild quail. And uh, he is a firm believer of the fact that uh, one of the biggest contributions to the the death of the wild quail is is the cowbird or the eager hmm. he said he has watched the eager eat baby quail left and right just pick them up right out of the pasture i believe it yeah. i do too but it's 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 kind of that's it's one of those things like you'll never read that in a dang textbook no it's, it's not there you but will. that is something that man and i I don't think he's got a, a, any reason to lie to me about it. Yeah, why? Uh, nor do I think he has a, a lion bone in his body. I think he's going to be brutally honest with you no matter how bad it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just the kind of vibe I got from spending the three days with him that I did. But it's that that's comes from experience of being on the ground all the time, being a steward of that land, managing every aspect of it for different game species, and then to sit there and watch an eager just... Yeah, I would still say across the. I mean, sure, egrets or, or well, ha, egrets, hawks, owls, whatever's going to whack. Well, he's calling he's calling them cowbirds. You know, yeah, the, the ones you see egrets. following cattle around. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, anything's going to get a hold of a quail, foxes, you know. Oh uh, yeah, bobcats, coyotes. I still don't think those things top just general loss of habitat, farming practices that are going fence to fence, and then you know the the explosion of fire ants over the last. Actually, I think fire ants might be under better control than they were, say, 20 years ago because they're such nasty creatures. Everybody's amdured them to death. But you know, fire ants were eating all the quail eggs and or getting, or killing the quails, I guess, as they came right. out of the egg. You know, and They've got all that moisture on them. The fire ants are eating them up. I'm allergic to fire ants. I hate fire ants. Quail are <laughs> one of those species that you almost, to have a good population of wild quail, you have to manage specifically for quail. You know what's funny is it's when my you favorite thing. So when you go from one side of his property to the other where they do a lot of the burn hunts, yeah. you can see where he switches that that the big management practice to where he's yeah. like, This is this is where we do the majority of our bird hunting. Yeah. Therefore this side of the property is specifically managed for quail. Oh, you're you're talking every third row of pines is the only thing that's mowed when it is mowed, and it's really not even yeah. that mowed, it's just a little bit shorter grass. Yeah. Mean, everything else will be knee high, you know, mid mid shin. And he keeps the grass. He doesn't mow up against the fence lines anywhere. Uh, he he does a very good job of managing that. And then you go back towards uh, the house, and on the back side of the house, he's got a dang dove field. Holy cow! What a dove field, man! Yeah. He didn't even have hardly anything growing, and you're bumping groups of twenty birds, resident birds, just walking. Out. He, he yeah. had he was growing stuff, but it wasn't near to the the like seeding yet. I can only imagine what it looks like now and make my mouth water just thinking about yeah. it. But <clears throat> he's been managing land like that dang near his entire life. And that, that, you know, it's his family's land that he manages mostly and what he, what he does a lot of his, his hunts on his uh, free range hunts. And then, you know, he has a few high fence options if that's what you're into, but that's not, that's land he manages for, excuse me, someone else. It's not his property. Yeah. Everything he owns is, is a free range 
But he's killed some absolute monster white-tailed deer off that place. Yeah, I believe it. I mean, you go back and watch some of the videos and the TikTok that might come made out of that. All those deer were killed right there on his property. Mm. And they're just beautiful deer. And his woods were beautiful. It's that, it's that rich, that black belt, that black topsoil yeah. you get in that region where everything grows so well. and It, it provides the deer with that, that nutrients. And to to ride around that whole property with him and sit there and listen to him talk about, I plant this type of food this time of year for this specific reason. Yeah. And then at this time of year, I cut it down and I plant this type of food for this specific reason. Everything has a purpose. Yeah. It's not just, well, you know, I plant this because the deer like it. Yeah. I plant this because the deer like it and... It benefits them in this way this time of year. Yeah. So, I mean, he puts a lot of thought into it. and I don't UDMA. Know. Yeah. Yeah, but, dude, I felt so at home there. Yeah. Just the uh, the good old southern hospitality and the, the cooking. Man, them steaks. Mm. And the vegetables. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's cool about the vegetables we had with our meals. In that area there, they have a community garden. Hmm. And it's like a... I bet it was probably a 15-acre field. And across that field, it's just different vegetables planted. And all you do, if you live in there, you can show up, pick vegetables, and go home. Hmm. Pretty neat. Yeah. Like, in, in the South, we've got some vegetables that are for the life of me. I do not know why they aren't way more common staples across North America. I just assume they're harder to grow or they just don't have the yield to be commercially viable. But like but okra? things, no, like purple hull peas. Oh, okay. Or we had some of those red the, peas, man. Oh, yeah. You know, um, for that mean, for that, even black eyes. Yeah, yeah. They're they're great in the south, but red peas and snaps. Whew, that starchy, not spicy. You can make them spicy, or, or even um, butter beans. Oh, you know, beans. which I don't know if a butter bean and a lima, if it is a lima bean that's just been let go or not, because lima beans are okay, but butter beans, oh mm. man, silky, smooth, creamy, man, like what? I, I, the Irish love potatoes. God love them. I got a lot of Irish in me, but I walk right past potato to get me to get to a butter bean. <laughs> so, yeah, we had those those uh, purple hole peas. We had black-eyed peas, and we had green beans out of that community garden, and some okra that he had. Uh, he fried up some okra. <sighs> okra killer. And I don't know why there's a lot of people that don't like greens. What, like collard greens or turkey yeah. greens? I mean, I've had them bad where the guy just boiled them in mush and they turned muddy. But good greens, oh man, mm, with just a, just, just a little bit, bit of vinegar and sugar, man, some ham, a little heat in there. Wow, just a little. yeah, just a little mm-hmm. bit. Piece of cornbread. Mm-hmm. Oh man, yeah. I tell you what, something my grandmother used to make all the time when we were kids, and I didn't realize it was a poor person's meal, and I, I freaking loved it. it. Was just cornbread and, and uh, pinto beans. Yeah. Oh, cornbread and lima beans. I like just lima. just straight salted pinto beans and cornbread, mm-hmm. dude. I eat the mess out of that. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's it, man. Maybe because there was a time, especially I assume following Reconstruction, right on through the Great Depression. I mean, the South. If you drive around now, it's pretty clear who won the war. Right. And, it, you know, 
everything's in the South, right? But yeah. you know, that's a terrible thing to go to. You know, I don't want to please nobody take that out of context. That was just the fact that right now the South is, is just thriving economically. And But there was a period for a long time where it was bad and, and arguably brought on by poor policy, you know, in the, right. way back. I don't want to get a history lesson. But it was. And I think that people just ate nothing but purple old peas and red peas, you know, and then, and it was just poor food. And I think as soon as you're not just eating biscuits and peas and you could start getting, and it's modern grossing got better, you get green vegetables. I'll bet a lot of people are like, I'm just not eating that stuff anymore. Right. Because it was so common and now it's, it's uncommon, but it's actually some of the best eating that there is and oh, we just absolutely. don't see it. That's it's one of those I, southern staples. I think because you get into, you know, like more expensive food. And I think in the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so, there's been like a switch where now you get people that eat food that has been like, this is a poor person's meal. And now you're seeing it at like five-star restaurants. And this stuff, this is what poor people ate. Give me at an one example. Time. I, I mean, just... Well, I mean, a lot of stuff that, um, like Cajun cooking, a lot of that, a lot of, especially some of the more different stuff, they ate that because that's all they had. Right. And they were poor. Like, okay. Red beans was done during laundry. Laundry Cafe du Monde in New Orleans serves chicory coffee. You know why? They had put chicory in their coffee. Because they they didn't have enough coffee and they had more chicory. So they just threw chicory to thin out the coffee. Yeah. Because they were broke <laughs> they were poor but it's it's that making something out of nothing that, yeah that and really, now it's served at cat shoot you can go to public well so, so think coffee. about it like the the embodiment of like down home southern cooking mm-hmm. is really making something out of nothing yeah because like that, that's true in a lot of places they think of, i mean italian food all the things we love as far as spaghetti and all this, all the noodle-based starches, that was all peasant food. Yeah. Uh, so much of the Latin American cuisine, peasant food. But man, because high calorie, and then of course, yeah, the reality is when you think about all the different spices and stuff we had that were used on meat, it was either preserve it or to cover up the fact that meat had been sitting around for a while. <laughs> yeah. Right? So, and there's, there's still places in South America today where, Unfortunately, the, the caloric load is so low because of poverty that they have to use things like straight lard just to meet their caloric needs, right? Well, you know, bean sprout Americans all of a sudden sit down to a bowl of, you know, um, frijoles negro with some lard in it. Whoa, it's a whole nother yeah. experience. Right. right. <laughs> to us, it's like, ooh, I'm being naughty. And, you know, you don't realize in a lot of the world that's, Going back to we talked about the South, it's like you know you think you're being naughty down here. We're just trying to buy till tomorrow. Like so, like okay. Um, no, this episode's not out, but last week Jim made uh, fricassee. Hell yeah, venison fricassee Root over veggies. grits. Grits they made grits in the South because it was cheap. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty much poor floor grits, sweepings. Grits were poor people food, you know. You know and. 
it's been a long time since they shut down the grit mines. I wonder if we're going to run out because the gnomes just aren't pulling it out of the out of the mines like they used to. Because <laughs> everybody knows grits are mined. People that tell you come from corn are lying to you. <laughs> I tell you what, though, Jim, I've had like I, I've had like beef stew over rice, but I've never had it over grits. But you, I told Amanda, you know, when I walked inside after that, I said. Jim's changed me. I said, if it's going to be beef stew, it's going over something. It's going over grits. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you, man, I, Nick, I don't know if it's going to be next week, but sometime in the not too distant future, I'll do a uh, jambalaya grits. Oh, I'm, Same I'm thing. Yeah. You know, instead of using rice. I'll be here. I mean, I'm always here, but I'll be here. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's no, it's deceiving. You'll, you'll put together a big old bowl of that and you're getting to the bottom of it and you're like, Oh, I mean, rice is heavy, you know, sometimes, right. but you know, grits is a whole nother level. And, yeah. and I do think, I like rice, but come on. Like I said, you walk right past rice to get to some grits every time. I always, always, always overestimate the amount of grits I can eat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because when I make grits for myself for breakfast, like I'll literally just sit there and eat a bowl of grits like somebody eat a bowl of oatmeal. Mm-hmm. I might make an egg or two to go with it. Yeah. But a lot of times I'm like, four servings? <laughs> I can eat four servings. I'm halfway through the bowl going, uh, oh, the, be- uh, the best. Well, because you're. All- I'm sorry. Go to bracket. The best thing is, is you fry you up a couple eggs, and you cut up that fried egg with it, and mix it in with the grits. Your wife also. I imagine if your wife made grits, you know the typical recipe is about four cups of water, one cup of grits. I imagine, and this is made as a compliment, that if a man had made grips grits, it would be one cup of grits, one cup of water, two cups of butter. Which is about the right ratio. <laughs> See, now, now the I make, I make, I like thick grits, so I'll run, you know, like way less water, or I'll sit there and put the recommended amount of water, and I'll boil my grits down until I don't. I never cover my grits when I make grits, but I'll stand there with the pot and watch them. I don't also don't time them. Oh, I stir them the whole time until they're <clears> the right <throat> consistency. But when they get too when they get too thick, I'm like, perfect. Here's a half a stick of butter watch them thin back out and i'm like yeah exactly yellow yeah and that way so that way if you go and you put them in a bag or you leave them in the pan man if your grits turn into that brick yeah you you Mm. you you went a little too far man they should be thick and they need to have that butter lube so that if you scoop them into a bag or you scoop them into a bowl that the next day you know if you leave them at room temperature that you can still move them around and that they're not they haven't turned into a loaf or a muffin Right. <laughs> then, then you get the grits on the money, but I think the only way to get there is to actually sit there, you know, get your water boiling, slowly stirring those. But you don't stop stirring, and you're watching and you're feeling. And I you're stand like, there, your ah, <laughs> butter, boom, salt, done. I stand there with a cup of coffee in my left hand and a wood spoon in my other hand, and I'm watching that pot of grits just go. I make the grits, yeah, because uh, I'm very particular about my grits. I don't eat. I don't know that I, I found a restaurant yet where I'm like, man, they make good grits. I did one time at Waffle House. I had excellent grits, and you just see the butter in them. Like, you can see the butter running out of the grits when they put them on the table. Waffle House is hit or miss. Yeah, sometimes you can. But one time, I had excellent grits at Waffle House. I think a lot of it also is sometimes I think that people, we're having a whole podcast about grits here, but <laughs> they make them too fine. Mm-hmm. I like yeah. a little, I like, like I said, when the gnomes refine it too much, you got to have a little, little, little bigger grit in your grits. One more thing about grits. We'll move on now. 
But when I make grits, I like enough black pepper in my grits that I can see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's not like, oh, shake, shake, shake. That's enough black pepper. When I put black pepper in grits, I grab that little can of pepper and I open up the whole side and I go. You will have your knife, but yeah. (laughs) And then I stir it in there and I'm like, can't see it yet. A little more. (laughs) Until you can see it in the surface of the grits. Yeah. Perfect. You know, along the same lines, we're talking about stirring and care. Because I do, I think... It's not rocket science, but like anything else, man, if you want to be a good cook and you want to learn how to cook grits, it's just not something you can walk away from. You have to pay attention. And the other thing that falls along with that even needs more attention, especially if you want to make it deep, dark, is roux. Oh, yeah. Man, you you know, a lot of people try to rush that roux, turn the heat up a little bit too much. and Kangaroo? Get a, a roux. I'm going to hit what, you, boy. What is You don't know what a roux is? No. R-O-U-X? Oh, my goodness. Nope. It is the base to gumbo. In fact, really the difference between a stew and a fricassee is the roux. Jim, I'm, I know I'm going to hurt you when I say this, but I can't remember the last time I ate gumbo. Well, okay. So, there's going to be jambalaya grits. There's going to be gumbo coming in. <laughs> you know. Um, what we got? We got one Thursday, too, right? Yeah. Next week. <laughs> you set me up. Right? I've never had that. No, yeah. um, but... To start with a good roux, you're using at least equal parts, but usually twice as much oil as you're using flour. And the oil can be something as simple as butter, but butter burns too easy. Um, the fricassee I made, I used the, the oil left over from when I confit those goose. So, it, I mean, that was really hitting it out of the park. So, the um, if I had, I wish I had more goose fat, but I had to use olive oil. So it was olive oil that had all the seasonings and spices left over from the confit of the goose and the, and the natural goose fat that dripped out of that. So a brown, small batch browned the venison heel roast, which is about the toughest cut of meat you to find on venison. But cut it, you know, three-quarter inch cubes, br- brown that down, small batches so that you got yeah. that good brownie goodness. And I did that in the oil. Added another two tablespoons of oil two tablespoons of flour and sat there and stirred and stirred and stirred and stirred for 30 minutes. And that's what gives you that beautiful brown base that you saw. And then after that, you throw in the red wine and eventually some vegetable stock. So I've always been afraid to make a roux. I just, I haven't done it yet. I've burned them. Takes, I didn't, I didn't figure out how to make roux. I didn't just pop and be like, I'm going to make great roux. No, you, God knows I burn half a dozen of them. And then and you can't fix it. Once you start seeing little black specks in it, it's just done. kill it. Start over. You you yeah. ruin it. Better. All right. So here's a transition for you. Segway. Segway. Yeah. You want to talk about care and passion and all that. The gentleman we met with or pretty much anyone we spoke to throughout the entire time of the artificial reef building process. Yeah. Yeah. And getting that material donated. We were met with enthusiasm at every turn. Nothing goes that easy. No. From, we, we just talked about that in the podcast, I think, but <clears throat> yeah, from the first phone call to Jill, then to Keith, then down to Chuck. Yes, yes, yes. And then not just there. Hey, can we, bar- yes, everybody was yes, 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 yes. Are you available? Yes. Let's go. Did we, okay, so we did encounter a no a couple times, but it was never like a, no, you can't do that. It was like, I am so sorry, but we're full. Yeah, it was, we'd love to take your stuff, but the Army Corps of Engineers is here because they're fixing other Jetties, stuff. Jetties, yeah. 
Yeah. If you, and it was like, well, if you can hold on to that for six or eight months, we'll be happy to take it. It's got to go. But nobody said, nobody said we don't want it. That's, no. No. Yeah. And it, it was really cool. It was a cool experience to sit down there and talk with, with Charles and learn about all the reefs that this actually just in Pinellas County. Hundreds, he said. Yeah. But he said apparently they've, they've actually, this is beautiful, they've made it a priority. And I, and I didn't fully follow, but they've done something in their accounting to where it's not part of the general budget. They've got something that actually helps fund that program over there. It's not just in the general budget where it can get buried, right? And I assume it's probably, in fact, that might be a good callback is, what is it that Pinellas County does a little differently so that you're never short on money for artificial reefs? Yeah. I mean, when, you, when you're when you coastal like that and in the state of Florida where our number one, like, ecotourism thing is saltwater fishing. You can't screw up that budget. You, you've got to yeah. keep that stuff going because that is what brings money into our state on a regular basis. And to get out there, and not only are they doing that, they're not just building those artificial reefs for you to fish off of. They've got artificial reefs specifically built for divers. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, I did, he didn't talk about, I bet you, some of that's also in one way, shape, or form for erosion control. You know, if they've got, if they're losing habitat, because remember, some of those reefs are not far offshore at all. Yeah. They said they're easy to reach by boat, but I'll bet some of it is to slow down or change wave action somewhere else. I don't know that. I'm, I'm just totally guessing, but I wouldn't be surprised. It's interesting. In, in the research I did that uh, leading up to the art of, you know, going down there to drop that stuff off, it's it's really cool to see how impactful artificial reefs can be. Yeah. You know, like we talked about in the podcast where you're harboring this huge 25% of the population of a juvenile fish off the coast in the Pacific Ocean. In California. 25% percent across seven oil rigs a quarter of them yeah in the largest ocean in the world 25 percent that's huge yeah huge i'm i do try to be cognizant of the fact there's for everything you think you know (laughs) there's an infinite amount of stuff you don't but I do get very frustrated. You know, when I sat down and talked to somebody who's a, I really don't mean to use this pejoratively, but a zealot in terms of environmentalism, and I am using that differently than conservationism, but they are of the same coin. Like, we are environmentalists, but that's become like a bad word to describe somebody who's just jumped the shark, man. But you, we've all run into those folks where they like to separate humanity. Like, we don't count. As part right. of, but we do. We are. We just happen to be a very a highly adaptable, you know, species that well, got a big old brain and opposable thumbs. It gets to do a lot of stuff, right? We can manipulate our environment unlike any other animal. You're speaking of it, environmentalism as a as a guideline instead of a blinder. Yeah. Yes, but what the, my frustration where I was going with my long with the narrative is that my frustration with things like the folks that say. We don't care. There was an oil spill in the 1960s. We started this crusade to remove those oil rigs. Their leases up. Damn it, we want those oil rigs removed. 
And then if you come along and say, well, by the way, a quarter of the red snapper population is now, well, either exists because of or has just become heavily reliant on the existence of those rigs. It's like, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, they don't want to hear that. Yeah, right. I, no, I just want the rigs gone. Like, you can't possibly be right. And it, ultimately, though, on some of these things, even when it comes down to things like bears where we have people like, no, no, no. I get frustrated like you're, you're really not listening. But at the same time, you've got to be cognizant like, well, are, are we listening? You know, but I, I, I don't know. That's my frustration in this in this whole sphere that we like to play in is the. Uh, I get it because yeah, the sometimes, one-sidedness sometimes. Sometimes even for us, it's it's hard to listen to the other side of the listen to the other side of the coin. Um, although we should, as both sides of the coin should listen to the other, and then you should take into consideration how you know the the opinions from both sides, the scientific fact, and then make a decision based on that. Try to come to a happy medium per se, where you know ultimately with the health of whatever species at hand we're speaking of plays the utmost importance role that's the most important thing there is that the species remains at its healthiest but we also need to look at i understand that they don't want you to kill bears to help people fill fuel or they want the oil rigs gone i understand it so we meet the so we use the oil rigs as an example and california has tried to to meet that at a halfway point right and say okay so their lease is up and they they cap the well and then they have to remove the oil rig below the waterline everything that's above the waterline goes down then they put pylon markers on it so they know where it's at people don't run into it everything that the fish are using stays there everything that was visible from the shore is gone yeah so what have we ultimately created an artificial reef bingo right yeah, and I, I would not be surprised to find out if there's some people that are not really thinking it through, and probably very few, but that are like, let's get rid of those oil rigs, and then say, let's go build an artificial reef. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It happens. You run into that, you well, know, like, are you thinking this through? Let me ask you this, though. How much does the shade that that rig provide play into that? I don't know. Good point. Up at, up at the surface, it probably does. Yeah, I mean, it could depend on the species, maybe, and... But I, I mean, I'm I'm just curious, as you know, because that does provide shade in the water. Yeah, I mean, you're t- but you're also talking a water depth of you know several hundred feet. You know? Yeah. So towards the surface, yeah, I could I could see that playing a bit of difference, but eh, shade shifts. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Shade is going to shift with the sun. There is a spot that constantly has shade throughout the day. Just I mean, something to consider there, maybe. I mean, right. so could well, I mean, and when you say so, you remove everything above the water. Well, now you just change that. So, because because of that factor, that rig is shading that water. Maybe not the, the question, entirely. It's got to go eventually because the they're not going to maintain it. You know, you can't yeah, have right. the structure just sitting out there in the Pacific Ocean because there are yeah. typhoons and there will be rust and there will just be the general corrosive nature corrosive nature of yeah 
oceans. They they got to take that structure down because it's, it's going to wind yeah, up say, falling down someday. Mm-hmm. E- eventually, the rig in and of itself, even below the waterline, will disappear. Yeah. yeah. But hopefully, because there is a, right now with the oil rig as a functioning oil rig, they are maintaining the rig below the waterline. Yeah. Once they stop doing that, then it will continually corrode until it's gone. gone. Um, but you're just kind of buying time. Yeah. You know? So, I don't know, that's an interesting question. One for someone smart, far smarter than I am. Yeah. But, I don't know. Just thoughts that pop into my head sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You want to change channels entirely and talk a little bit about what you and I did this morning, Briar? Yeah. I mean, you guys yeah. went out and... So, uh, before we do that, and I'll tell you what I did this morning, it's not quite as long-winded. I actually got out to uh, Heartland Precision's shop where the magic happens. And uh, Zach gave me a tour out there, and I walked around his shop, and they got some sweet stuff going on right now. And I actually got to... Uh, I went out there uh, to side in my muzzleloader. And I, which I successfully did on their hundred yard range. And, uh, I got to see how their shop is set up. I mean, they got like a, their range is really, I think you said 300 something yards. There's a, a pavilion set up right by the road where you turn in and it's a platform built about three feet off the ground where you can lay prone and shoot at the hundred yard range down the driveway going in. And then the hundred yard range, nice little covered building with a bench and stuff. And, uh, but I got inside his shop and saw all that sweet stuff. He's working on getting to do his own uh, painting and stuff like that on the rifles because right now he's shipping that stuff out. He's working on getting all that stuff set up. And I actually shot one of his rifle bills while I was out there today. Man, that was sweet. That's a sweet rifle that I got to put my hands on and actually pull the trigger on today. But got what, the muzzleloader sided in. What's he throwing down range? Today? Yeah. We shot his two twenty three. Oh, sweet. So, very common caliber. Okay. Yeah, a little bolt-action coyote gun that he's got. Uh, perfect little truck gun. I think 16 and a half inch barrel on it. Ooh, nice. And uh, he had an Athlon scope on there. And, dude, talk about a trigger that surprises you, that Timney trigger he had on there. So, he's got an, he had a, on an AR platform. No, he had on a bolt-action a, platform. Really? Sporter rifle. Okay, cool. Yeah. little uh, Remington 700 bolt-action. And it's a freaking tack driver. But that was that was a sweet little rifle. He actually mounted the scope while I was standing there talking to him. <clears throat> Went out to the range, bore sighted it, and then shot it at a hundred yards. Missed the target. Went into fifty yards, shot it, hit the target, came back to a hundred, and zeroed the scope back out from from factory zero where it was set the zero presets. And I think it was two inches to the right. I was like, man, look at them Athlon scopes just coming presided in. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So he made some minor adjustments to it, had it zeroed in, and I was, I mean, hitting the bolt on the dang 100-yard Ipsic steel target. Jeez. Sweet rifle. And then I sighted my 22 in, ringing a 4-inch steel gong at 100 yards with 14 rounds. Nice. So Cameron Gordon better have to step up his rabbit game because I see him out to 100 yards, they're dead. <laughs> you got a, a BDC scope on there? I do. Nice. So you're good at like 25, oh, it's 50, the, 75, your, your regular, your so regular crosshair. them in, you know. Yeah. Your regular crosshair is dead nuts at 50 yards. And then uh, I'm assuming that second, that first dot down is probably somewhere right around 75 because the second one is dead nuts at, at 100 yards. Wow. 
So I was just putting, I literally put 15 rounds of 22 long rifle in a four inch steel gong. Nice. Cool. 100 yards. I I don't know if I mentioned that, Steve, but I actually reached out to him about either putting together a shooting class for another people or just going out there solo. You know, really learning how to reach out there and touch something. You know, 1,500, 2,000. I'd really like to be able to do it. Not, not for hunting, just, just for this pure discipline. Because if you can, yeah. man, if you're ringing steel at a thousand yards, you're going to be better at fifty. Well, it's, yeah, it's like it's like shooting a bow at a hundred yards. Would I ever shoot an animal at a hundred yards? No. But do I feel the need to be proficient enough to hit a deer-sized target at hundred yards? Absolutely. Because when you're shooting at a hundred and you can, without a doubt, without a shadow of doubt in your mind, hit a deer target at hundred yards, forty yards don't seem that far so anymore. Yeah. That that increases your uh, ethical shot range. Yeah, and I'll give you my opinion right now. Ethics are are akin to opinions. Yeah, everybody's is a little different. Yeah, <laughs> should be. Let me to a point because it, it, everybody should be a little different because well, some people have better skill than others. You know. Well, I mean. I'll say that for another podcast. What'd y'all do Different. this morning? So me and Jim took took the old mud boat out, and we actually did some mud boat things this morning. Oh yeah, it was. Uh, I wouldn't say it was too shallow. It was decent. You jumped a few things. Yeah, we. Uh, not Briar. Not on not, that not, lake. Not, you jumped a few things. There was something to jump out there. I mean, not like, not Jordan style. But, yeah, I know, yeah, but like like little. Like I didn't know it was there. <laughs> well, no, there there's a couple places was, where had we not had a head of steam, if we had pulled up on those places at idle, we'd still be out there. Yeah, there was there was um one spot in particular. When we um, we got out in the marsh and there was an open spot we were trying to find. Cause I wanted to see we really wanted to see if there was some feed in there. Hydrilla or or coontail or whatever. And we're looking for it. Jim's like pointing for it, and there's no trail. And I'm like, "All right, we're just gonna send it." <laughs> and uh, tiller handle came out of my hand once. I don't know if you noticed that or not. <laughs> that was when you did a rough turn. That no, no, no. When we got into that open spot, going in and out. Oh yeah, that's what I was talking about. You jumped. Like that was that those was are probably dry. floating islands, but he, yeah, it was dry. We we scooted over. It was right. fun. You gotta do what you gotta do. You know. Yeah. But seen a few ducks and we we saw more than a few in this particular skeeter pond. We saw more than a few whistlers. Yeah. I am I and am four looking, models. I'm looking forward to hunting that spot just because of its location. Oh yeah. It'd you, be interesting. It's proximity to a dwellings. Yeah, well, uh, a uh, dense do- and an R H A. We we actually went in a couple places because these are, they built right down to the water line. Did and, they really? Oh yeah, and, and and we went in, and there's definitely places where that could be if it if it applied for an R H A slam dunk. Gonna get it. What was interesting though, you, you we we pulled up into some places where you'd want to hide your boat. And sure enough, 260 feet, 240 feet, no bueno. Yeah. Do you know the funny part about it was? You move 25 yards. Mm, 30. Maybe. Maybe. 
and all of a sudden now you're at 320, 340. Funny part, same hole, you'd still be killing the same ducks. Yeah. Right? You wouldn't, you could set up your decoys in the exact same spot and just move your boat around. I know that's not going to happen everywhere, but it was it was good to know because I do believe that RHAs are coming. Yeah. Um, and although people, well, hold on, RHAs exist. I believe the codification is coming, and I fall in the camp that believe that it is good because I think that having it set by judicial president, it will likely be bad. And other people can disagree with that, and I won't fault them because I'd, I'd rather they just don't have them, but they're going to. But what was heartening was knowing that in that area, they could put an RHA and you would still very much be able to hunt lawfully. Mm-hmm. Right? That's not going to apply to every single body of water, but I'll bet that there are more, I'll bet that there are a lot more places than maybe we're thinking. Like when the, the fear of it is greater than perhaps the reality. Well, but that's again I, only one lake. I think the bigger concern there is I, th- I think that everywhere you put an RHA, you could probably find a spot to hunt that's decent inside that RHA. But can you find a spot for the other 20 guys to show up? They, well, you know what? If 20 guys show up on, on that particular hole, somebody's going home. Well, either everybody's going to be upset because there's no way you're going to put. Mm-hmm. You I, I would say, what would you say, Briar? I mean, really, for that habitat, on, on, maybe on that you can get lake, four could, people in the whole lake. Four boats tops. Is that a stretch? Four. You could probably get a few more than that. Well, not really... not where the ducks are likely going to be. You think? Um. Oh well, yeah, maybe on the one side. If you, you go way in the if shit. You counted that other me. that other side, the east side. You counted the east side is a little. The, the dwellings were a little less dense. You could probably throw. Four, you could probably squeeze four boats on that side. Okay. But that's not, that wouldn't be, under no circumstances is that ever going to be RHA-able. What, on the, the? The side where you could put four boats. Your dwelling density is a, is oh. a factor there. And no houses at all. Oh, on, on, on that end? It's not there a. There was a few, but I mean, it wouldn't. It no. Wouldn't. And, and I don't think it ever will. It wouldn't, it wouldn't um, be a problem. Let me tell you, that end. once that is codified, that'll be one of the first places you probably see one show up. It could be. Yeah. And if they and, if, and, the, and the funny part we there was people there and they, they knew they knew exactly what we were doing. They were all very, very polite. Yeah. Um they were out rowing. But if 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 <laughs> for fun. It would be interesting. Good. Like what I did take if in that particular place, if they put an RHA in there, um okay. Yeah. And and, and the funny we actually were talking about the places where we we did would have hid the boat to hunt this one particular hole, and man, I mean, you would have, you, you no doubt, no question, you easily could have hunted very safely. Yeah, but if you're out there at sunup, you, you're going to anger some people. Oh yeah, whacking away right, and even where. Frankly, where where we would be entirely legal, you're probably still going to anger some people. Yeah, and that's you, where you, you know that's where you get into the you know you, you're not gonna, duck season ain't that long. Yeah, right. And you have to have some give and take. You're living on a lake. If they were to codify RHAs and guys are outside the 300 feet, 
you know, at some point you just got to give landowner, but I, don't know, I, mean, I, I get it. The fear that they go to Lake, Lake Toho and just surround the whole thing with concrete. Hopefully there will be some reason knowing that all this is coming down with developers where you have setback, but man, 300 feet, yeah. that's not that far. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's not, you're still yeah. right on top of those houses. Yeah. And, uh, uh, uh it's a like, hundred, it's a hundred yards. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you look, you, you look at that 300 feet, a hundred yards and you think, you know, cause noise has a lot to do with that, with duck hunting and the reason noise. So outside, if I'm outside of 300 feet, you still got my loud mud boat coming through there, at, you know, five, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. Then on top of that, you know, a couple hours later at sunup, now you got me shooting. I'm only a hundred yards. That shot is not going to be that much quieter at a hundred yards versus fifty. Well, you know, and that's I, the whole. Reason. You're right. That's the whole reason. And and listen, I don't like RHAs at all. Yeah. But I understand both sides of that coin, and I agree with you, Jim. The whole reason to to codify the the three hundred feet is because you're right, Briar. It's we not want, any quieter at three hundred feet than it want. is at. The, it the is 150. Feet, the 300 feet, I'm fine with. There's a lot of places I could still hunt be 300 feet away from my dwelling. The problem is, is that if we don't codify it at 300 feet, when they do go ahead and finally hit it, it's going to be a thousand. A thousand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm of the. This is my. This is the just purely Jim Hazley opinion. Man, I, I, I think there's a myriad of reasons why people are trying to use FWC as a cudgel. I'm sure there's some people that are looking to use that as a way because, you know, they just they just don't think anybody should kill any animals for any reason, not even public's chicken. Okay, you know that's your life. Go ahead, but mine's different. But again, so well, I I want to impose my value system on you, so I'm going to go file complaints until I can then use government as my tool to stop you, which I I hate that. Yeah. I don't care what line of thinking we're in. And I think there's other people that perhaps on the gun gun issue, they just don't like firearms. All firearms are scary. They're all deadly. They might just explode. And, you know, that shotgun shell might, you know, you, you know you've, you've heard those right. conversations yeah. of people where they just, they're so distant from firearms, they have no concept. So, again, we're going to use, we're going to try to use FWC as a cudgel because FWC does not regulate firearms at all. Right. They only regulate, they only, but they're they, trapped. They They're regulate, trapped because yeah. they go they go to the state. 790 says they ain't breaking any laws. They're fine. Well, I want them stopped. So who do you go to? You go to FWC. And FWC says, that's not our job. We don't regulate firearms. But you do regulate method of take. We're going to cry and we're going to say, oh, but you have bird sanctuaries. You're not even close. Restricted hunting area. Eh, you, you don't really meet that. I mean, these guys are still safe. Right? Well, we disagree. We're going to sue. Right, so that, and that's the point is, I th- I think it is total horse manure, but in this country, if you disagree with a decision, and this is ultimately good, you can bring it before a judge, right? And then you're going to have that, and that ha- that that system has to exist. But you know, as we've talked to ad nauseum, I don't think that as hunters we want to. That's not the place we want to settle this argument. Oh yeah. That's my biggest fear. That's it. That's I, I have zero faith that that 
the municipality holds all the cards, man. They're gonna they're yeah. gonna pick the they're gonna pick the judge. I think if if they get a chance to, and then then you get into perhaps there's um, um, appeals and just uh, all sorts of stuff. So I'm gonna yeah. transfer us uh, one more uh, thing. Go ahead. That, that wasn't supposed to be an RHA discussion, yeah, but it was. It, that turned into it. But I mean, I think we were gonna hit on it, but we didn't. Didn't wanna. Yeah, I hate it. It happens. Oh. One more thing that happened that was interesting this morning as I was leaving. Pulling out of out of the boat ramp, a fellow stopped and asked me how I did this morning. Told me that he I didn't go into great detail and numbers and you know what all I seen. You know, I, honest. He already knew. Yeah, he knew. <laughs> he already knew the deal. Uh, he said he'd, he'd been scouting it, and he actually gave me his card. Said, "Hey, maybe we can hunt together sometime." Classy move, dude. That is Does the way. Not, and I was pleased. I'm gonna give him a call. I am, and I'm probably gonna hunt with him. Oh, I, dude, I'm all for it. And in fact, I when you told me that, I am looking forward to hunting with this guy because yeah. that is the way public land hunting should be. Yep. Right. Yeah. And, for sure, that's the way. That's the way it, it should be done. And I mean, not only that, you know, one, I may have made a new friend right there. Right. Two. Now I have another set of eyes. Right. <laughs> yeah. well, Somebody it, else. Hey man, you go scout over here, and I'm gonna let you know what's going on over here in another spot. You know, I figure that he is either. I, I don't think. I think this is the less likely. He's either new to hunting and is looking for an education. Which, in which case, yeah. the way we roll, Fun. happy right. to provide it. Yeah. More likely, I think he's an experienced guy who realizes that man, it is public. These dudes are scouting it. They're probably going to be here. Let's go make friends so that yeah. we avoid skyscraping, right? I, I I can go over and talk to these guys if they open up on birds when they're still at you know eight hundred feet. <laughs> so, right, and and or, or just talk about hey, let's all get along here, right? Or you don't run into that if if he happens to be in a spot that we wanted to hunt. You don't have to worry about that. We're just going to pile right next to him, and right. then you know we might just go someplace else or vice versa, or. But hopefully we, can, we really do actually hunt together. Yeah. Right? I mean, hell, at that rate, we can go nose to nose. Yeah. Blind up together. I mean, we, we've done that. Uh, depending on what side of the lake, that'd be kind of hard. Well, yeah, but you know what I mean? You, me and you and Matt and we've well, all we've, we've literally, quite literally tied boats nose to nose to make a very long blind. Yeah. And we killed a mess out of ducks that morning. Yeah. It, just because you got more than one boat in the exact same spot, I mean, you're gonna kill ducks. You just gotta blind up good. Yeah, yeah. But if you if you get them both side to side like that in a good kill hole, not side to side, and then I mean, uh, ain't, yeah. ain't nothing getting out, right? <laughs> so, so I'm gonna go ahead and segue out of this, and I'm gonna say, uh, if if you are one of those people that doesn't want p- chicken in Publix, I will literally go to fisticuffs with you over a chicken tender Publix sub. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, the rotisserie chicken's good too. Publix nose chicken. <laughs> Fist to cuffs, son. We we gonna throw down over that. that those I think a those lot hands chicken, are rated E for everyone, huh? I think a lot of people, <laughs> chicken tender pubs up. There, there's a lot of people that back you up on that one. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but man, let's, I want to wrap this up, man. I'm gonna have you guys. You know, we always talk about stories. Like let's let's tell our favorite hunting stories, and I'm gonna tell one that I don't know that I've actually told. On the podcast yet, I, I talk about uh, this is this is not this is far from my favorite hunting story, 
but this is one that I've referenced several times. I don't know if I've ever told the whole story about the one that got away. Oh, man. The the buck. So 2013-2014 hunting season. I was still in the Army, stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And that piece up there is just an excellent piece of public ground, as we've all, a lot of us have discovered here, because we're actually headed back up to Kentucky in uh, about six weeks to go do a week-long deer hunt up there. You, as a civilian, can go and hunt the base. You have to jump through quite a few hoops to do it. But it's having experience hunting there, to me, it's worth it. So I got out of work super early because uh, I was in a class on a Friday. And when I say early, I got out of work at like 1045 in the morning. I go home, kind of mill around the house for a little bit. And I'm like, you know what? <sighs> Screw this. I'm going to the woods. So when you hunt on the base, you have to sign into an area specific to what weapon you're using. And my thought was at that point, because I had just got my brand new rifled slug barrel from a 12 gauge, I'm going to go hunt with my shotgun. So I go to try and sign into some shotgun areas. <clears throat> They're all full. So I had my confidence from laying down a nice eight point and a big old fat doe the year before with my bow. I was like, well, you know what? Bow hunting it is. So I signed into the only, the first available area I could find to bow hunt. And I had to look it up on a map to figure out where it was at because I'd never been to it before. Drove out there, picked a fire break, parked, walked down the fire break, and it's kind of pissing rain a little bit. So I'm just, at this point, I'm like, you know what? Can't kill deer on the couch. Got to find a dang, just a dry spot to sit. So I get back in, I kind of nestle up on the edge of a pine hammock and uh, with some good oaks out in front of me. And uh, I'm sitting there, and I'm reading my book. Got my bow laid across front of my climber. Nothing fancy. And uh, to my left, I hear something moving. So I kind of lean, you know, ease over to the left, and I look, and I can see his, I, I can see legs, deer legs, underneath the thick, walking. It's like, all right, cool. We're going to see some deer today. But I've already walked a 1,000 yards into the woods. I'm like, I don't feel like dragging a doe a 1,000 yards. Because i got to drag it out the same way I walked in. I can't drive my truck in there to get it. So I'm like, well, if it's a doe, I'll let her go. And then uh, at 20 yards, out steps Bambi's daddy. I mean, it played the little... <laughs> from the movie when he stepped out. In my head it did. Somebody put a red <laughs> stag in the woods. <laughs> Just a beautiful, perfectly symmetrical 12-point. I mean, I easy, easy had Pope and Young, and I'm pretty sure I'd have had Boone and Crockett on that on that buck. Just an absolute hoss. And uh, I'm looking at that deer, and I'm like, and I don't have the greatest cover where I'm at, but I'm, I'm looking at him, and I'm like, there's no way he doesn't see me. He's looking right at me at 20 yards. And then uh, he just started kind of, walking off behind me and I was like there's no way so I took my book and I tucked it down next to me in the climber and I hooked my release up and then uh, I stood up still nothing he's still walking I was like okay here goes nothing draw back and he's headed right for that log I'd ranged earlier in the morning earlier in in the afternoon at 30 yards I was like oh dude 30 yards chip shot he's done he hit that log and I went meh the classic 
classic oh, yeah. stop a deer noise. And he just freezes, kind of looks back my direction. I said, oh, money, let it fly. It's just vital zone, vital zone, vital zone, twig. Right. I mean, yep. five broad hair, five hairs in my broad head <laughs> when I picked it up out of the, off, off the ground. That's the story right there. I say it's not my favorite because so I can't close. even count. I can't even count the amount of sleepless nights I've had. That's one of those ones where my brain, I'm just laying there. I'm like, all right, time to sleep. My brain's like, remember that time you missed that giant ass buck on Fort Campbell? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> so not fair, right? See, I searched for, for a solid hour and 30 minutes for blood. <laughs> I knew there was no blood, but I had to look anyway. <laughs> I have a part to that story because I remember it like it was yesterday when you called me. I was pulling into the O'Reilly's parking lot, and I get the phone. Oh, it's Will. Hey, man, what's going on? And all I get is, I'm sick. I'm sick. And I'm like, (laughs) what'd you miss? (laughs) (laughs) You missed it, didn't you? The biggest buck I've ever seen in my life. That's what I missed. I'm sick. (laughs) And I went on, you know, a couple years later to kill a 13-point. And I'm telling you, that 12 point inches wise was yeah. way bigger than that 13 point I shot. Mm. So, what do y'all got? Favorite story? One that haunts you to this day? I got one. And you probably remember this one. I, I can't remember why you didn't hunt that morning. And I think Jordan was up. Was Jordan up there with us that? We had to, um, because it was was the first year we had, we had that 600 acre piece. And I'd hunted that box blind. It was like slap in the middle. And I don't remember why you, I don't remember why you didn't hunt that morning. And you met me out there later. And we rode around a little bit. I'd got down, I'd left my bag. In the stand because I was going to come back and get it and come back to my truck. I hunted After, that morning. I just didn't hunt where you hunted. I thought you hunted. No, I hunted hunt in the. Uh, I hunted or did in you the, hunt the two hundred that morning? No, I hunted in the in the buddy stand over in the short pines. I know which river you're talking about now. Yeah. It took me a minute, but yeah. Anyways, because we rode around, I think you brought me. You brought chicken too because we ate a little chicken and then we rode around. I think we. So went, what happened down was down the stand. I got down earlier than you did, and you stayed there because the dogs, they were running dogs your direction. That's what it was. There was yep. a reason I stayed or something like that. I yep. remember. Um. Anyways, and I had my rifle with me the whole entire time. And for some reason, I decided that, because we took your truck to go move the stand or something right around, and I left my rifle in your truck. I had a pistol in my truck, too, <laughs> under the passenger seat where I couldn't quite reach it, and uh, nothing. And I'm think, and I you took off, and as I'm walking back to the stand to go grab my bag out of the stand, I remember going, "I don't have my rifle. I'm gonna see a deer." <laughs> the whole time, that whole time, I'm thinking, I'm like, I ain't got a rifle. I'm gonna see something. 
It's going to happen. And I'm walking up to the stand. I give him a, actually, I think I drove up to the stand. Got my bag, got out, was driving out the other side. And I stopped at the crossroad. And I looked down. And I'm, I mean, it couldn't have been. If, if it was 75 yards at the most down there. And there's a deer standing right in the middle of the road. Right there. Bucking everything. I don't think it was too big. At least it probably good six. Standing right in the road. Looking at me. And I'm like trying to. I remember. I'm like. There's that pistol right under that seat. If I can just get it. That 45. I'm going to try. <laughs> I'm going to try. I I don't think I'm going to hit him. But I got to try. Because that's the only thing I've seen all year so far. And I'm like trying to reach it and keep an eye on the deer so I can see where you know, he's trying to get and reach it. I just finally gave up and looked and he was gone. <laughs> <laughs> Not my favorite, but a funny one at least. Yeah. My story, <clears throat> I've got, a, I don't know if I've got a favorite hunting story, but this is, I'm going to play the kid card because it's always touching. <laughs> um, my oldest son. You know, he'll go hunting. He's he's just not that kid. I mean, he's hiked a gazillion miles. He's biked a gazillion miles. He's earned the right to say that the things that I passionately enjoy are not his thing. Right. Um. Now that he's getting a little older, though, he is starting to be like, you know, I think I might want to go on some of that stuff. And I think it, and then the touching thing is it is more about spending time with me doing something that I like than it is his passion. And I, I still hold out hope that once he has that full independence that he might gravitate back to some of those things for all the reasons we love it. But um, anyway, we're hunting and he's a young teenager and we're in a we're in a field, and he had actually killed a doe um, already. And we're hunting together in a two-man stand on a field that I, I know does come out on, and every now and again bucks come out. And for whatever reason, I was just exhausted. And I thought that Zach needed a lot more coaching. It was in my, that was my mind. I figured that he he wouldn't do anything without me. And you know how you, you, for, you know, anytime you climb in the stand at first, you're like, any minute now. Right. And then, okay. And then, <laughs> you know, I'm out. Right. And, and I, I, I <clears throat> and I'm in that state where like, you're, 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 I was even aware. I knew that there were does coming out in the field, but we were there hoping a buck would come out. And the does are out there milling around, milling around. And they're out there early. So there's still plenty of light. And figure the buck's probably not going to show up. And I'm out again. And I mean, I'm I'm out in that twilight zone where you're, you're not really, you're, you're sure not conscious, but you're also not asleep. You're in no man's land. And I vaguely remember Zach talking to me and recognizing your son is talking to you and starting to come back into the consciousness. And then he said, there's a buck. But by the time 
there's a buck hit my eardrum and got to my brain, there's an indeterminate number of seconds <laughs> for it to register, right? And as I was starting to come into the, oh, I got to switch into coaching mode. But I wasn't yet fully conscious. He rolled me out. Wham! And, you know, I, you know, Shoot, yeah, you're man. awake. Seven then. millimeter 08 man goes off next to your head. You're like, Wah! and and uh, sure enough, man, he laid that bu- that buck didn't take a step. He laid it flat, man. <laughs> and and I remember thinking, you know, that wasn't luck. And and he had, despite some of the maybe the complaints or maybe me over daddying him, and he figured it out, man. He knew exactly. What to do? Make sure he had three good points of contact on the on the shooting rail, and you know, and he was informing me of his intentions. Probably, I, I think he was. I think he was telling me this is what I'm going to do, you know. To and, and meanwhile, Dad's over there drooling, ah, you know, because <laughs> you know, he's doing all things boys do. Okay, Dad, I'm going to shoot this one, and I have, I, I don't remember what the, some of the earlier. I have no clue what he was talking about earlier until it registered. There's a buck, and that's what started rendering me. But by the time, by the time I was with the game, that game was over, man. <laughs> he he had already you know threw the one in touchdown, so it was done. And uh, I don't know, that was that was it was just cool, and and um, yeah, it came into his own. So you know, naps in the tree stand hit different. It seems like when you really, like, even mm. when you think you're really asleep, though, there's always those, your mind kind of keys into those specific noises. Oh, yeah. Because oh, I've yeah. been, I've been, like, dead. I, I felt dead. I know I was snoring. I know for a fact I was snoring in that climber. And the deer woke you up? And the deer, a buck coming in chasing the doe. And, like, I opened my eyes. And I was so asleep, I had to rub the sleep out of my eyes. And I'm looking, and I'm like, that's a deer. And I rubbed it again, and I was like, that's a buck. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's a little eight point. I'm going back to sleep. And I leaned back <laughs> and I went back to sleep. <laughs> no, I'm sure you guys are the same way. That I remember a time, because I had a fair layoff of hunting when I was doing my spearfishing and everything else. Just a lot of it was access. And so I hunted as a kid and then it stopped. And then you go back into the woods again and. I'd forgotten how noisy it was. So you're all yeah. amped up to hunt. And of course the squirrels are, you know, they sound like Tyrannosaurus when you're, you but now, you know, so about 20 years later or whatever. When I'm in that semi state of consciousness, you know, kind of taking the, the doze, resting your eyes, so to speak. You know, I, I don't know about you. I can delineate. No, that's Turkey. That's. Oh animal. Yeah. That's a squirrel. So I'll tell you this. And then all of a sudden there's the palmetto scrape and you're like, you know, yep. pow, and all the senses, you know, Defcon 1. Squirrels. Or whatever, yeah. Squirrels sound a lot like deer, but deer have a specific cadence to the way they walk yeah. almost. And, uh, but the only thing that's been able to fool me, the only other creature that I still can't discern the difference in a deer and it coming in is a goddamn armadillo. I was going to say that, an armadillo. <laughs> I think they're more rustly. I don't know. They can be, but so squirrels are like, and they might sit for 
an indiscriminate amount of time. Then they'll bounce around some more. And, but the whole time they're digging and making a little bit of noise, deer are... Ch- 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 stop. Yeah. Ch- 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 stop. But that armadillo, he's... An armadillo, he doesn't come in like a walking deer. He comes in like a running deer. Mm-hmm. And he freezes. And you're like, where's he at? Where is he? You're look, looking real it. slow. And then he starts rooting around and leaving. You're like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I got the armadillo. I, I've been, I talked about crunch birds, the, all the different birds I'm looking at. I have been fooled by, uh, oh, man, I can't. I, I know what kind of bird. Not, um, tohi. Tohis are birds that, and you, you talked about the from deer. Yeah. I find it's a little slower cadence. Perhaps I don't know. It doesn't matter. They all move at different speeds, but you just I I, I know that sound. And I'm not saying that I'm I don't get fooled sometimes. But man, the tohees when they're in there doing their scratching, mm-hmm. sometimes they will because they hop, and sometimes those little boogers will hop at the same cadence. But I hear them, then all of a sudden it's like I I should be able to see that deer. that deer's invisible that that scrub's not that tall i mean it's a goddamn miracle i've never shot a red winged black bear duck hunting (laughs) when the wood ducks are flying and that sucker comes out of the dang reeds behind you and just comes over like top you buzz top you win (laughs) yep or dragonflies when you're dove hunting (laughs) i don't know what it is yeah you don't don't notice dragonflies at all until you're dove hunting they're everywhere and uh or the other one that would get you is Man, woodpeckers fly an awful lot like doves. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, let's let we're we're in an hour and a half. Let's dive into that tip of the week. You know, I'll, I'll start us off with confirm your zero. Right? I mean, you it, that goes for bows, rifles, muzzleloaders. You really should be shooting your bow to bow hunt. You know, all season long throughout the summertime, and that's a tough ask, really, down here in Florida because it's hot gets hot in the summer but that muzzleloader man it might only be a week or two weeks a year wherever you're at some some states it's longer some states like kentucky it comes in and out in and out in and out but you owe it to the animal to make sure before you step into the woods with your method of take that you know that where you ask that bull or that arrow to go it's going to go there so just spend a little bit of time a little bit of effort on the on the range and Get it dialed in. And don't get a scope that's smarter than you. <laughs> yeah, you learn it all. What do you got, Jim? Uh, mine's going to be about gear redundancy or more gear organization. I mean, in an ideal world, um, now that my kids are getting older and about to move out, we've got more storage space, so I have the luxury of having a dedicated closet to hunting stuff but i've always been this way anyways try to have you know like every big game bag you might have a small game bag you can't do this with i can't you know i can't have two sets of top-notch binoculars in in each one right so but you sure as heck can have two thermosels you can have two sets of uh, um Game shears. You can have two knives, uh, two first aid kits. 
you know, uh, two water bottles. And, and, and I do that because I've learned that the hard way from when you, when I was trying to be a little too thrifty, because an Nalgene bottle ain't that expensive, right? Or you'd probably go to almost any park and be like, yeah, any Nalgene bottles? And you lost a fountain, they'll just give you one. Um, you know, moving stuff back and forth between bags, and then sure enough, you, you grab your big game bag, your small game bag, and you head out the door for, and then all of a sudden you need your thermosel, and it ain't there. So get two, right? And keep your gear organized. I, I still, I learned this in Boy Scouts 100 years ago, man. I've got uh, shakedown lists. Like before I go, I usually try to pull everything out and go down like, okay, there's a rain poncho, there's thermosel, there's knife, there's water bottle, there's first aid kit, there's whatever I'm going to need. I try to do but I don't always because sometimes you just count on, well, it's going to be there until it's not. So have redundancy, have you keep your gear organized and that way you don't have an unpleasant trip. So I keep all my hunting stuff in a box, uh, in my house. And whenever I go to go hunt out of state, although I rarely ever need everything that's in that box, I take the whole box with me because I know that if I'm, if I'm like, Oh man, I need my rattling horns. Guess what they are? In the go They're box. In, box. in the box. Or if I get up there and I'm like, oh, dang, it's colder than crap. My my thermals, they're in that box. Mm-hmm. Everything is in that box. And then I pack a separate bag of clothes I'm not I'm going to wear when I'm not hunting. It's yeah. just a tiny little bag, and then there's that big old box <laughs> full of stuff. Now, I, I'm kind of getting to the point now where you're talking about where I want to break it down per season. I'm going to have my waterfowl box. I'm going to have my deer box. I'm going to have my small game box. Because right now I'm like, man, hmm. That's a big old box for going somewhere to hunt ducks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need all that crap. Yeah. And I find myself digging through it. But, but I know this, that when I dig through the box, I'm like, I'm just going to take this stuff I need for waterfowl hunting and put it in this bag. When I get to where I'm going to go, and I had to run into this last year when I was in Georgia. We drove to Georgia just to hunt ducks the last week in duck season. I'm like, I need, I need this. Oh, crap. It's in my box. <laughs> well, ad- admittedly, some of the reasons I have redundancy is because I, did, I drove all the way to Georgia or all the way to Alabama or all the way to Texas and didn't have a thermosel. Well, right. you, you're, you're out there for four days. You're not going to not have one. So now you have two. Right. Or three. And that goes. You don't learn the first time. Dude, my, my dad always told me hunting, hunting stuff is hunting stuff. Right. The thermosel is one of those big things, especially living down here in the South that. You need to have a hunting thermosel and around the house thermosel. Oh yeah. yeah. Because if you take your hunting thermosel out and use it around the house when you go to hunt, it's going to be at the house. Yeah. Versus, you know, it, that's just how it happens, and that's why you, that's why you know, like we, we talk about. I've always got, I'm always getting on y'all about. I, I keep a can of bug spray in my blind bag. Oh, I keep it in the boat. But you didn't always. I got you started keeping it in the boat. My brother too, keeping a can of bug spray in the no, boat. No, because you put it in. You did it. And you did it with my truck. And then I'm like, well, I can do it with the truck. Why don't I just throw yeah, it in I, a boat? So I it's have always a can of, there. I got a can of bug spray in the door pocket of my truck. I got one in my blind bag. I don't carry one deer hunting because I carry my thermosel. Yeah. But I, I have, dang, can't, there's a can of off over here in the garage. Yeah. That's my house bug spray. Yeah. Like, there's bug spray everywhere. And bug spray is cheap. I well, I just go. I, I just go over to the, if I'm at the house. I just go over to the boat, spray it on, and put it back in the boat. <laughs> yeah, deep woods off dry. That's way better than dang. 
No, the for, the the oily crap. The uh, Repel Max forty percent deep. Well, the deep woods off is a is a, the dry is a high deep content as well, but it's not yeah. oily like that thing that other stuff is. Oh, okay, all right. It's How nice. do the wipes work? I seen you had the wipes today. I, I it's I prefer the wipes to the spray, and those yeah. are my backup because I'd rather just use the thermocell. But it's either a thermocell or quinine and a blood transfusion. So. <laughs> tip, tip number two when you're in the south and the, and the dang what we call dog pecker gnats the little dang gnats go in your face uh dryer sheet rub it all over your face and keep them out of your face huh. but go ahead briar what you got mine was say like we like I, I, I like to hunt ducks so one thing i do is i look into like i read articles and listen to things and research what do ducks eat? So when I'm out in the summertime, I'm like, well, look here. There's smart weed over here. There's, you know, look at all these, all these lilies. There's plenty of lilies in here. Oh, look, there's coontail. There may not be any hydrilla, but there's other things other than hydrilla yes. that ducks eat. Smart and weed, spatter dock, coontail. I, yeah. The list goes on and on and on. And they, depending on the species, there's other things. You know, divers eat different invertebrates. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, they all eat invertebrates. Is how deep they go to get them. Yeah. You know, like you, divers will will go into deeper water with less, with the food, where the food is deeper in the water rather than closer to the surface. But anyways, you know, and the same thing you go with for deer and elk or turkeys look into what they eat look into you know patterns and how they roost and things like that there's i mean you can read and read and read and read tons there's so much material out there and all you got to do is google well i'll tell you even better than that though something i I never saw on google but i noticed from spending time in the woods you talk about deer when we had that 600 acre piece in southeast georgia the deer when the dang muscadine grapes we're producing grapes. Yeah. They don't touch corn anymore. Nope. They tear them damn grapes up. Oh, so much sugar. Yeah. yeah. I, literally, when the yeah. muscadine grapes would come into full fruit, like fruiting full out. Mm-hmm. That's like right now. Yeah, but we wouldn't have deer on camera. Nowhere. At our at our corn nowhere. piles. Hmm. They're tearing up them grapes. So. But. Next week. Man. We're We're busy. Yeah, we got some good ones coming up. We've got Chris Connor coming in from Little Kiva Brewery. He's going to bring us a number of growlers, and then eventually, once we figure out what we like, he's going to brew us a keg for the kegerator. For the kegerator. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we're getting into Florida history coming up, and a lot of great things. We've got some sweet episodes coming up. We've got Adam Berkelmans, who from Intrepid Eater, Mm -hmm. who is not. It's amazing that he has not had formal culinary training because that guy, man, he builds eye candy. If you uh, check out Intrepid Eater on Facebook, I think he's got his own website. Man, I was previewing some of his stuff and he was making, I didn't even know he could do this, shaggy bark hickory syrup. Hmm. It's like a maple syrup made from hickory bark. Hmm. Hmm. I was trying to figure out if you could do that with Florida hickory, but they're not quite the same species. I don't I bet I'm not going to try that except be making like benzene or something. But I bet that'd make a damn good ham. 
Probably, but he's yeah. a wild game fella. You know, made a whole bunch of stuff out of chicken of the woods, mushrooms, forager, just, and he's in Canada, so it's a little different. Mm. And then we've got uh, Dr. Jim Clark, who's a Florida historian, professor of Florida history from the University of Central Florida, Institution of Higher Learning. Hmm. And who else we got booked? Uh, we just booked somebody else. Oh, we're going to have, we're going to have a gentleman. Um, who is a bonafide fisheries, marine fisheries oh, yeah. scientist, um, come in from a, an organization or an entity um, and talk about what it is to be an honest God scientist and, 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 and talk about the kind of work that he does. So that should be fascinating. That and then coming after, after this episode is uh, we're talking control burns. Somewhere along in the yeah. near future. We've already recorded it, but we got to submit that for editorial review, and then it'll come to you guys. Yeah. Oh, so this should go without saying. If you have an interesting story, you know, and don't and credit yourself, you know, listen to some of the stuff that we talk about. Maybe you don't find it interesting, but if you're still listening to this point of the podcast, you must like something we talk about. Man, if you got an interesting story, shoot us a message. We'd probably love to have you in. Hunting, fishing, conservation, work ethic, beer, history. Come on down. We'd yeah, I, look, you. man, the podcast we're recording on Monday is like beer and surfing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's an outdoorsman. Yeah, yeah he's, I, I he's mean, not a but, hunter or fisherman though. He's just. But that you know, Chris is a creature. Just a, <clears throat> that's just a to to kind of shift away from what we normally talk about. It's always hunting, fishing, stuff like that. But it, that's not what it has to be about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's everything outdoors. If you are super enthusiastic about bird watching dude I, I actually wouldn't mind picking your brain especially when it comes to ducks yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> some other interesting dudes we've got coming up well I've got to just I, we've just got to find the right time uh, Rick Lorimar president of Naui International you know one of the largest scuba certifying agencies in the in the world and uh, you know Rick has been there done that underwater he's a former uh, army ranger instructor um, and all around good dude. He's going to be fascinating. Like big personality, but not not egotistically big. Uh, he'll be great when we get him in. Oh. We've got a lot of good stuff coming up. And if you're a birder and you want pictures of purple gallinias, I can hook you up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. We don't want to give it all away before it gets to you, but you know what's coming. But, hey, if you've made it this far, you can in your own Apple Podcast. You can scroll down and click that write a review button. Hit the far right hand star, and you're just like these guys are awesome. They're great. We love them, and all this sort of stuff because that helps us reach more people every week, and that's what we're trying to do. And click follow. Absolutely, follow us, and ideally download a podcast too. I think we think all those metrics help move the numbers along. We'd appreciate the help, and uh, make sure you guys are like joining our. The Under Pressure Outdoors Nation and following Under Pressure Outdoors on Facebook because that's where a lot of our information is put out. And in the nation, you know, Under Pressure Outdoors Nation, the, the group, you can share your success and your failures and ask questions and all that stuff. And that's what that's what that group is for. It's a lot of fun. I mean, we see some funny stuff. We see some educational stuff. We see some questions asked, and we get people out to the woods that way. And just a great place. Don't don't be afraid to come on there and ask any question you got because. This is not a, uh, it's not a place where people are going to go, you should read the regulations, man. I, 
I don't disagree. But I will I will take the extra step to find you the regulation and link you to it so that you can read the regulation you need to read. Some sometimes that stuff can be confusing. It can Absolutely. Be, sometimes you know something specific can be hard to find. We were just digging through regulation before we started recording tonight. Yeah. So, but until next week, we'll see you later.